Good morning, everyone. I, I, I was trying to get to greet everybody before I came up, but they just keep coming in. And that's a good thing, right? <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's worship. Let's stand together and sing forever. Starting right now. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, His love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn, His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. of God we will carry on his love endures forever sing praise sing praise sing praise sing praise forever God is faithful forever God is strong Sing that chorus again. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever. Forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. God is faithful. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Indeed, God is forever faithful. Amen. Just a quick announcement. Uh, homeless ministry this coming uh, August 26th at 8 a.m. If you are interested to help for the homeless ministry, just approach Larry McFarland at the back. And uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a business meeting. And that's going to be August 27th. And that's going to be uh, during the Sunday school time. Okay, have, I want you to remember that. And uh, to our guests, if this is your first time, we encourage you to uh, fill out our guest registration card and welcome to Tulsa Mountain Baptist Church. We want to know you and pray for you, and we hope that you'll, you will have or enjoy our time together as we worship God. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us this wonderful day, a privilege to know you more and to serve you more. 
and also opportunity for us, Lord, to experience your grace. Indeed, Lord, you are forever faithful. And Father, we pray, Lord, as we unite our hearts in worshiping you, we ask, Lord, that you will speak to us personally as we sing and listen to your word. We ask, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to minister to each one of us this morning, that we will not leave this church unchanged. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us a humble heart, Lord, that we will have that desire to serve you, to know you, and to live up your plan, your will in our lives. And fill us with reverence, joy, and love as we worship you, Lord. We bring back all the glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Anybody get to meet some new folks this morning? Amen. I did. So did I. Yes, I did. I met Gabriel and Francis back here. Yes, I did too. Fellow believers uh, that live nearby from another church. I met the Timbo clan over here from, shall I say, Church Plant over nearby, and, and their, their family. Isn't that great to have them? Let's just give these guys a hand. I'm so glad you're able to be with us and want to get to know you better. All right, let's, let's just rejoice that God is so good to let us be here in church together. Uh, you know, the Bible says, do not forsake assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is, but continue to encourage one another and spur one another on to good works, especially as we see the day approaching. And the day is approaching, isn't it? Yes. Amen. So it's so good to be together. I mean, I, it's a, the highlight of my week to get to greet our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, new and, and old. I don't mean old, but I mean, you know, people I know better. The old, you know, every, let's just say everybody. Let's start singing now to get me out of trouble. Uh, let's sing 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. your holy name the sun comes up it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes amen bless the lord oh my soul Worship His holy name and sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. You're rich in love and Your soul to anger. Your name is great and Your heart is kind. For all Your goodness, I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find and bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name and sing like never before oh my soul i'll worship your holy strength is failing the end draws near and 
my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore And bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul Worship his holy name And sing like never before Oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name I'll worship your holy name Lord, I'll worship your holy name song. God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our trust, even when things are tough, right? I know that there are people here going through physical sicknesses and pains, emotional struggles, uh, financial difficulties, family trials. There's many things we go through uh, day by day and week by week, isn't it? I mean, don't ever think God doesn't love you and you're not the child of God just because you're going through really difficult times. There may be some people that teach that, but that's not true. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but rejoice because I have overcome the world, right? This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. Amen. God is faithful. So let, let me just lead us in a prayer. Father, whoever is hurting with whatever situation, struggling with whatever this morning, we pray you will touch our hearts with your love, that we will trust you, that we will know that you love us, you're in control, you are sovereign, you let hard things happen to us in our lives, and yet... It's all to bring us to closer faith and obedience and joy and blessing. We ask that you help each one of us to truly trust you. Be thankful, as the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, let's sing this and mean it when we sing it. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are stilled, when striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I stand In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of Christ, I live. Amen. 
live as Christ. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. Amen. And as he stands in victory, since God has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. You can say amen to that if you want. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns. Or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand Amen, Amen. what a message God's love and forgiveness Amen we're gonna sit down and we're gonna let Renee lead us in a song <laughs> don't desert me <laughs> how can you do this no. Okay. Well, this next song, um, there's a little story to this. Uh, Craig called me on Tuesday and said, how about a solo on Sunday, Renee? <laughs> I'm like, what? What you talking about? I'm like, oh, no, no, I can't do that and this and that. And I thought, you know, I love Craig so much and I can't let him down. So I was out on my walk and I prayed to the Lord for him to put a song on my heart that would touch everyone in here, including myself. And he gave me this is the day that the Lord hath made. And this is all modeled after Psalm 118, verses 24 through 29, written by our great King David, uh, one of the great psalmists. Um, I think he might have been the only psalmist. <laughs> anyway, um, and so I want to read that verse to you, and then I want you to join me in this. I want to see that pep. I want to see you singing with me. If you can stand, stand. If you can't, that's okay. But I hope this song touches each and every one of you because we need to thank God for the gift of life. Every second, every minute, every day, every week, every month, every year. And that's what this song is all about. But let me tell you what the psalmist says. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine on us. With bows in his hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is so good, and his love endures forever. So please join me in singing this. I want to hear that singing. I want to say, pep. <laughs> this is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. 
is the day that the Lord hath made. This is the week, this is the week of the devil's defeat, of the devil's defeat. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the week that the Lord hath made. This is the month, this is the month of the Lord's triumph, of the Lord's triumph. And we will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the year, this is the year that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. And we will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the year that the Lord may appear. You have a video. <laughs> oh, that was on my notes. Every day is one step closer to heaven. Every day is one step away from this world. Every day is one step closer to heaven. I'm telling you we're headed for the gates of pearl. Now with every day that passes, the question that we ask is, Oh Lord, how long till we can go home? But my friend, before you know it, look up and we'll be going to worship him around the throne. Every day is one step closer to heaven. Okay, that was a brief video. <laughs> hey, did we mention there's a new sign out front? Yay! That was a year fight. You know that song we just sang? That is it. Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. Ooh, we're all awake this morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Today, we're going to look at some things. Today, we're going to look at the significance of circumcision. Bet you didn't expect that one coming. About God's principles for peace. Who we are as a church, the significance of the church in our lives and for us as individuals. And also, we're going to think about what the church does for us. So as we look at these things, we're going to jump right into these scriptures this morning. It's a helicopter ride, straight up. No takeoff. That was it. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. There were two groups of people here that needed Jesus. We have two groups of people that need Jesus today. And I've told you this before. It's the ain'ts and the saints. 
Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that which was done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and the foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Listen, when it comes to knowing Christ, the same barriers they dealt with then are the same barriers we deal with now. <clears throat> it's the same issues. The Jewish people in the Old Testament, they had the promises of God, the teaching of God. They had the sacrificial system. But then, you know, God was at work in their lives so they could see the Messiah. And they could understand who the Messiah was. But then you have those Gentiles. That's, for most of us, that's us. They were far away from God. The Jews were near. The Gentiles were far away. And it's interesting because you think about that. We said early on when we first started looking at Ephesians that there was some inherent problems with the Ephesians. Number one, they worshiped the goddess Diana. And the goddess Diana in the temple, if you'll remember, the priestesses were prostitutes. That was a problem. And then they not only had that issue, but they worshiped idols and money. Do we see those things today in our culture and societies? Yeah, we do, unfortunately. Paul said that those Gentiles were excluded in the citizenship of Israel. They weren't a part of God's nation. They were foreigners. They were, they were outside the covenants, if you would, that were given to the Jews and that Jewish nation. He said, you have a life without purpose. He said, you have a life without a plan, without a promise. But more importantly, you have a life completely without hope. And that was the dilemma. Can you imagine when Jesus came into the world, he came into a world completely without hope. That's why he came, is to give us hope. We sang about it just a moment ago. If you looked back in ancient times, one of the most predominant inscriptions on tombstones was no hope. Can you imagine that? That was the kind of world Jesus came into. Paul says you were excluded as the Gentiles. But then in 2.13, he brings some good news. He says this, but now, remember we ended last week on those two words, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near to the blood of Christ. Listen, when a Gentile decided to convert to follow Christ, many, many times they were told by the Jews that you had to become a Jew first. Paul says you don't need to do that because of what we sang also about a moment ago, that they were covered by the blood of Christ. But that term brought near is important because brought near is the terminology that was used when they converted from being just a Gentile, uh, unclean heathen, to a Christian. So there was a process there that was taking place. Remember those two words, but now. 
They were without hope. They were without God. They were without promise. But now they were brought in to God's family through the blood of Christ. Listen, Peter had the same problem with this concept. He really did. Because when God told Peter to go witness to a Gentile man in his home, he had to send three different visions to Peter before Peter would understand it was okay to go. That was a struggle for many, many Jews, especially even the Jews in leadership. There was a lot of barriers to break down. Some people today who aren't believers, they come to church, and we may have some sitting here with us this morning, and that's no offense to you. But you may come to church. You may know the things of God. You may know the things of Jesus. You may know a lot of Bible stuff, but you haven't made that commitment to have a personal relationship with him. And you have to have that personal relationship, just like the Gentiles in that day. The problem is that they would, they, they would think, and many people today think, that, well, we have the promises of God. I know the things of God. So I'm near to God, but near is not nearly close enough. You have to have that personal relationship. Just like in Jesus' day, and just like between the Jews and the Gentiles, some people were very, very near, and some people were very, very far away. It's interesting because we have to think about, we can't be too judgmental on this process. We have to be very careful because just because we think somebody's a really bad sinner, and they really need Jesus, and somebody's not nearly as bad as a sinner, maybe they don't need Jesus, we can't, we can't think that way. We have to be very, very careful. Everybody needs Jesus. A lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people don't see it or visualize it, comprehend it. Why? Because maybe they're real near to Jesus. Sometimes it's very easy to talk to somebody that's farther away from Jesus than it is somebody who's near to Jesus. So what about circumcision? Let's think about this for a second. Even though it's not mentioned in the Bible, even though it is mentioned in the Bible, are you paying attention? Even though it's mentioned in the Bible, it's not usually a concept or a discussion in Bible studies. It's not a theme of Bible studies, is it? Well, obviously, there can be a lot of confusion about this. So I, I read a while back about a teacher that used to write down every single thing their students would turn in in regard to their assignments. Well, it was a high school teacher, and the high school teacher gave an assignment about Sir um, Francis Drake. And Sir Francis Drake, you know, sailed around the world in the ship. But when the paper got turned in, this is what it said. It says, Sir Francis Drake circumcised the world with a 100-foot clipper. <laughs> that student really misunderstood. Just like that student then, many Christians today, I believe, confuse circumcision. Now, there's some, there's some variations about this. It all started back in Genesis 17, 13, where God comes to Abraham and he says this, where they're born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh 
is to be an everlasting covenant. Every male had to be circumcised. <clears throat> but let's think about the biblical idea here and why God said this should be done and needed to be done. There are several physical reasons, physical reasons. That's your first fill in on your outline this morning. Many of God's laws were put in place for cleanliness. They were put in place for protection from disease. So this physical reason was from protection from disease. It was much like we know now, part of the reason they were denied eating pork was because if pork is not cooked appropriately, it can cause a lot of different diseases. So that's why they had the restriction of not eating pork, just like they had the restriction of every male needed to be circumcised. They lived in a very unclean world back then. There was also a very important spiritual component, spiritual reason. Circumcision was done on the eighth day. And fortunately or unfortunately, that little boy had no say-so in it. If he was a Jew, he wasn't making the commitment. The parents were making the commitment. The parents were making the commitment to say, this child is a Jewish boy, and he'll be brought up to know and understand the ways of God. Now, it's the same, very similar to what we do with baby dedications today. We don't baptize babies. We don't do things like that. It's the parents that are making the commitment. The parents are making the commitment to say, this is a Christian child. We're going to bring this child up in a Christian home. This child will be taught the ways of God and understand the covenants and the promises of God. But that child still has to make that decision when they reach that age of accountability, that mental state of understanding who they are or who they could be in Christ if they accept Christ as their Savior and Lord. So that's an ongoing process. So there's a spiritual reason. But then there's also a psychological reason. The psychology of the circumcision, you know, where he says, my promise is in your flesh, was God's way of indicating to the Jewish man that he was different. He was uniquely different, and he was meant to be uniquely different. But here's the problem, and we see it today. How people act sexually is usually and typically a dead giveaway of who they see themselves before God and how they are before God. Sometimes we have to be very, very careful because it reflects a part of our identity. Here's a real problem. We live in a sex-saturated society. The old analogy in advertising used to be sex sells. Well, it still does, unfortunately, for most people. As believers, we need to make sure as parents and as grandparents that we teach our children that sex is a sacred trust from God. Sex is a gift given to us by God, and it should be handled with care, and it should be respected and treated like that sacred trust. And it is only in the confines of marriage that it should take place. But sometimes I think a lot of parents don't deal with that appropriately. And that caused a lot of problems in a lot of people's lives. But Paul is addressing the two specific things here. He's addressing the spiritual and the psychological circumcision. 
He's not talking much about the physical. In Deuteronomy 36, God tells them this is a spiritual act. It's not simply a physical one. Look at what it says with me. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts, your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. That's a pretty impactful statement. In order to live the life that God wants us to live, we need to love God with all our heart and soul and mind. Paul's pretty clear that this is not just about physical circumcision, and that physical circumcision doesn't mean anything anymore. Look at what he says in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith and expressing itself through love. He's saying that spiritual circumcision is, overwhelms any physical aspects. The spiritual reality of that is the circumcision of our hearts. Colossians 2.11 says, In him you are also circumcised, spiritually he's speaking. How? In putting off of the old sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Spiritual circumcision is putting off that old sinful nature. It's cutting away that old dead lifestyle away from us. Listen, when we ask Christ into our life, when you ask Christ into your life, you're ask, actually saying, Lord, I want you to take these sinful acts away from me. I want you to remove them to my, from my life so far that they're gone and they're dead. Some of you are thinking, I'm not sure God's done that in my life yet because I'm still wanting to follow those sinful lifestyles. Here's the thing. I want to remind you of something. God has removed the control that sin had in your life. He's taken it away. That sin doesn't control us anymore. It doesn't control you anymore. What it does, what happens is if you're tempted and you succumb to that temptation, then you have lost your self-control. We talked about that in men's prayer meeting yesterday. Ladies, you'd be, you'd be happy to know that uh, we discussed not being angry men. It pays, it pays to understand that that cutting away of those hurtful, harmful things in our life and that old sinful nature are necessary. See, we are, renew, we, are, we are spiritually renewed in our mind. And as that happens, we don't have to become a new person. We're already a new person when we accept Christ as Savior. But we have to flesh it out. We have to make it real in our life. We have to put into practice what God is teaching us. Sometimes for us, that's difficult. It's an ongoing task. But God has removed that control of our sinful nature from us. Doesn't have that control anymore unless we allow it to. You know, the problem between the physical circumcised and the uncircumcised was one of the major dividing points between the Jews and the Gentiles. Do you remember when Jesus went uh, and met the woman at the well? 
in Samaria. It says, Scripture says, they walked through Samaria. Now, every good Jew would walk around Samaria. They would go miles out of their way to avoid being anywhere near those unclean Samaritans. And they would do it to keep that division up. But Jesus came to reconcile. Jesus came to put the two together. The same principles God uses to reconcile the Jew and the Gentile is the same principle he uses to put people together, to mend those broken fences, if you would. We need to understand these are the same principles we need to put into practice to make peace with our spouses, to make peace with our friends, to make peace with brothers and sisters in Christ, our co-workers. Those same principles apply today. Look at verses 14 and 17 with me. There's three things from these principles that emit from Christ. They are all about Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Listen, Jesus is the sole source of all peace. There's all kinds of ideas about where peace comes from and what peace is. A lot of people say, if only we could get all the people to agree. That is never going to happen. That is an unrealistic thought. I can't even get five people in the same room to agree on the same thing. If only God would do this. If only God would do that. If only people had enough money. If people were educated enough. If people had enough food. I'm telling you, the real source of peace is God and God alone. There's all kind of wrong ideas about this, but there's only one correct idea. True and everlasting peace is only going to come from God. And here's the thing. Anything else misses the mark. And it all starts in our hearts. It's got to start in our heart. By the way, did I tell you there's a new sign out there? And that sign says, God is love. We are supposed to demonstrate to the world how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to be. We are a reflection of God's craftsmanship. I told you that last week. We need to remember that. It all starts in our heart. You know, when we think of peace at Christmas time, we, we think about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, right? He promised his disciples in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He challenges us as disciples today to be peacemakers. He says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. 
Listen, the world is in turmoil. The world is in chaos. What happens when we walk into a situation and we can make peace with those individuals are in that situation? Now, some of you might not have the intestinal fortitude to do that. And that's okay. Take somebody else with you. That's the first thing we need to understand, that true and everlasting peace only comes from Jesus. The second thing is Jesus supplies all that peace. Jesus supplies all peace. How does he do that? What's the process? As I'm allowing him to make peace in my life, I need to understand that he's making peace in my relationships. He's making peace in everything that happens in my life. I must get involved. You cannot stand back and watch it happen. It doesn't work that way. The place where peace is manufactured is at the foot of the cross. Verse 16 says, in his body he reconciled them. 15 says, he abolished in his flesh the enmity between individuals. Christ died on the cross so that we, you and I, could have peace. He made it so that we could not only have peace with God, but we could have the peace of God flowing out of our lives to share and demonstrate and be an example to other people. But you've got to have the intestinal fortitude to do that. And sometimes that just takes raw courage and guts. See, unfortunately, I believe today what much of what we call peace in our society is actually just deferred conflict. That conflict is going to come because people are selfish and greedy and want their own way. But you know what? God says peace is possible. He took the Jew and the Gentile and he made one. Jesus made two, took two men and made one new man. Let's, th let's think about that for a second. In the Greek, the word, the word for new comes out that it's it's sort of like a new car coming off an assembly line. It's a brand new one. But then there's a second meaning to new in the Greek. It comes out, it's a brand new make. It's a brand new model. It's the very first of its kind. And that's exactly what Christ did with that. He took the two and he made one. And it's the brand new kind. The very first the Bible and, and Jesus' definition of peace is not just mutual agreement, it's unity. And that is what we are to be, united in Christ. Listen, verse 15 and 16 says this, His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Listen, Everything starts at the foot of that cross, but Christ's body is where it really all began. It's a place where peace begins and happens. He took the Jew and Gentile and he put them together and made a brand new thing called the church. And we are the church. We are the body of Christ. We need to think about that and be reminded of that each and every day that we are representative of Christ Jesus himself to the rest of the world. 
So how we think, how we act, how we behave outside and inside should be a reflection of who he is in our life. The church is called to make peace and bring unity. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're to be the peacemakers in the world. Do we need any more conflict in the world? I don't think so. The second thing we need to understand about this peace, in order to bring this peace, he had to break down some barriers. Now let's think about the barriers that he's breaking down for a minute. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, it says in verse 14. If you go to the temple in Jerusalem, or if you went years ago, and you went into that temple, there was all these courts, all these divided places. And many of those places, part of those places had drapes, part of those places had marble walls. They found some of them. They were described in history. And on those marble walls was an inscription. And the inscription translated something as loosely like this. No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Do you think they were serious about that? <laughs> See, we had all these courts. We had the court, different court, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women, the court of the men, just where the Israelite men could go, the court of the priest. And then we had the main sanctuary and the Holy of Holies. But you had all these different courts. Everything was divided. Jesus came to knock down those dividing walls. He came to remove those things. You remember in Acts, when Paul was thought to take a Gentile past the court of the Gentiles, they wanted to kill him and the Gentile. This was serious stuff. But when Jesus died, the veil was torn between the Holy of Holies and the main sanctuary. Jesus came to break down those barriers and those dividing walls that exist between man and between man and God. Think about this. God and man were no longer separated when that veil was torn. And then when he continued to break down those Jewish laws, the walls and dividing structures between man and man were broken down. He, take the, he took the two and made one. There's a story about law barriers in World War II. It was a group of French soldiers, and their, one of their comrades was killed in battle. And they took him to the nearest cemetery. The cemetery, unfortunately was was sort of closed off, and it was all fenced off, but they finally found a way in, and they talked to the man that was there who was a priest. It was a Catholic cemetery. And they asked the priest if they could please bury their friend in a cemetery because they had to leave the next morning. But they wanted to make sure they got him buried. And he said, well, is he Catholic? And they, they said, we don't know. And they said, well, if he's not Catholic, I can't. We can't bury him in the cemetery, but you can bury him right outside the fence. So they thought, well, that's going to have to be good enough. So they buried him outside the fence. So they came back the next day to pay their last respects before they left, and they couldn't find his grave. 
And they were confused. And they looked all around. And they finally went back in and talked to the priest. And they said, what? we can't find his grave. He said, oh, well, I felt so bad about not letting him be buried in the cemetery. I got up in the middle of the night and I moved the fence. <laughs> so that he could be in the cemetery. See, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's not only moved the fence, he's taken it up and he's eliminated and, and, and took it all completely away. There's no fence anymore. There's no barrier. And when those barriers are broken down, I can let go of my judgmentalism of other people. I can let go of my hard-heartedness. And I can realize that you and I and anyone else are standing on level ground at the foot of the cross before Jesus. The third thing Jesus did is he sermonized peace. I had to find that word. Sermonized, not simonized, sermonized. He preached peace. Listen, the ultimate expression of peace is equal access to God. Nobody has an in with God. That's not how it works. But everybody can have and be able to come into God through Jesus. Verse 18 says, through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Through him, that's through Jesus. And by the one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And then we have the Father, to the Father. We have the three, the Trinity combined as one, leading us and paving the path for us to God. All working to make sure we have equal access to him. Listen. I, this, this thing with peace. We have to recognize that we have to be a part of it. And I want to encourage you this morning. If any of you needs to make peace with somebody, do it. Do it. Here's how you do it. The number one is you start at the foot of the cross. And this is on your outline intentionally. Recognize that both of you need to be forgiven and both of you need to ask forgiveness. Not just of one another, but of Christ. Because if you've been holding that grudge and you've been angry and hurtful and hateful and mean, then guess what? You're out of alignment with God's will in your life. Stop judging. Stop judging. The law is dead. Scripture tells us that over and over again. Jesus Christ made a decision not to judge us from that cross. What gives us the right to judge someone else? The third thing is you need to involve yourself with God's church and God's purpose and plan in your life. What does that mean? The question I often hear when, when I have warring factions come to me or warring individuals is what happens if I want to make peace and the other party doesn't? What happens then? Listen, all you can do is the right thing. You offer the olive branch of peace but you need to recognize and acknowledge your part in the situation 
And you need to make absolutely sure that you ask for forgiveness, not only of that individual, but of God. Like I said a moment ago. And don't be judgmental. Don't have the attitude and action that I'll forgive you if you forgive me. Listen, God does not hold you accountable if someone else holds up the other side of that barrier. He will honor your effort in trying to make peace. And it is possible. You can be at peace with somebody who is not at peace with you. Because your peace must be first with God and then with man. And if you ask God for forgiveness and you're part of that situation and you try to offer that olive branch of peace and that other person resists it or refuses it, then that becomes their problem. There's nothing better than having peace where there was conflict. There's also three pictures of the church here before we wrap this up. We have to look at what God's done in our life through the church. Verses 19 and 20 say this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Listen, we're fellow citizens with God. We're part of God's kingdom. It's, an earthly, it's not an earthly kingdom, it's a heavenly kingdom. The church body of Christ meets many of my main needs in my life. It meets many of your needs in your life. Think about this for a second. My church meets my need of security because the church is the body of Christ. But it's also Christ incarnate. Think about this. When, when God in, in his kingdom says that we and it are going to last forever, man, that's ultimate security for me. I don't have to worry about it. Even if somebody slay me, I know where I'm going and I know who I'm going to be with. That's security for me. And I'm, just, I'm not just part of God's kingdom. I'm part of God's family. My church family meets a lot of my needs for relationships. It ties me together with other people. We're not alone. We are family, and God is our father. I can't think of a better family. I love my biological family, but I love this family too. And then the last thing is the church meets my needs for significance. Think about this. Every one of you probably grew up and said, I want to do something substantial in my life. I want to have something purposeful going on. I want to serve a good purpose. God put those desires in your heart for a reason. The church of God meets those needs for security, for significance, and for relationships. We have to remember, though, all this was built on the foundation by the apostles. Think about this for a second. We're built on the foundation of those apostles and prophets. The church is built on those. What they did is extremely significant and important. They la laid the foundation for God's church. First, they did it by preaching and teaching and sharing the word of God. When Jesus left, 
they had to think about it a little differently. They said, well, wait a minute. Jesus left. We're probably going to be leaving soon. Maybe we should write some of this stuff down. So Peter told Mark his story. Mark wrote it down. And then John wrote his story down. And then Matthew wrote his. And later on, Paul came along and wrote his as an encouragement to the churches. And now we have the Bible. And we can go to that book and we can read the Bible and apply it to our hearts and our lives. And it helps us become the Christian that God wants us to be. It tells us the stories of what Jesus did and what God did and how they responded to those who were obedient and how he responded to those who were disobedient. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. Here's what the cornerstone did. Verses 20 and 22, 21 and 22. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Listen, there were some really important facets to the cornerstone, especially back then. All the measurements of the building were taken from that cornerstone. All the weight of the building typically rested on that cornerstone. Everything in that building was tied together because of that cornerstone. Think about this. That makes Jesus the absolute most important element in the church today. But how many churches miss that? How many churches don't teach or preach that? Jesus is everything that church rests on. And it says you and I are also living stones within that church, within that body. We're living stones in God's great building project. Every believer is a stone. If one believer is missing or one, one stone is taken out, then there's a void. Something is not happening that should be happening. We have to remember that we are part of God's significant, great, and detailed plan in the grand scheme of things. We don't want to leave anything missing. We have such great gifts and talented and skilled people within this body. We have all the components and elements we need to have a great church, and we do. But we can become greater. You are a part of God's building plan and his purpose couple of construction principles we need to just apply here very briefly. It's in and through Jesus that the whole building is held together. We need to remember that. Jesus is the glue. He's the mortar that holds everything together. And what he does through us is he allows us to love one another and take care of each other and minister to one another. That's part of the glue that holds us together. He says you are jointly fit together. To serve and to minister to one another and to those outside of the church. And it's in Jesus that we're being built together. Listen, he's not only the glue that holds everything together, but he reminds us we're a work in progress. He's, the, he's, he's not only the great master builder, he's the framer 
the carpenter that's building everything, and he's putting us together day by day to continue to serve him. He's doing all this framing in us, and he's the one that said, I will build my church. Now, this is very important. I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm saying here, but he will build his church. He frames us and builds us and puts us where he needs us. Christ says you are to measure yourself by the cornerstone, not by others and not by yourself, but by the cornerstone. If we start measuring ourselves by other people or by the cornerstone or by anything other than the cornerstone, we're going to get out of plumb and we're going to get out of alignment and we're going to get out of square. Here's my statement that I don't want you to misunderstand. Whenever you feel like the weight of your ministry is, is just too much, whenever you're feeling like the weight of whatever God has called you to do is too much, whenever you feel like it all rests on your shoulder and if anything happens to you, God forbid, guess what? Something's wrong. Because it's not about you, it's about him. And here's the bottom line. Matthew eleven thirty says, my burden's easy and my load is light. It's not about you individually. We are a work in progress. We are part of the progress and process, but it does not all depend on you. And it does not all depend on me. He's building something for eternity, not us. He's building his house. We are just stewards of what God has given us to take care of. We need to remember that. If it all depended on us, I don't know what it would look like, but I know it wouldn't be right. Everything ties together because of the cornerstone. He wants us to be one of the primary things in life. One of the primary things he wants us to do is make a living, breathing, lifelong commitment to stay united, stay tied together, and stay moving forward, developing and working in his kingdom. That's what he calls us to do. Here's the bottom line. The Bible says we need to be kind and considerate and loving to each other. Ephesians 4.3 reminds us, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Listen, if the church is going to be all it's supposed to be that God wants it to be, we have to learn to get along not only with God, but with each other. God's power is multiplied in unity. When you and I choose unity by choosing to stay together and tie things as close together, we're really those living stones that he's talking about there. And as we are living stones and we continue to build God's temple for his glory, not ours, he brings about all those eternal purposes. The next time you put up with somebody, the next time you don't judge somebody, the next time you love somebody rather than hate them, the next time you choose to help somebody rather than kick them when they're down, the next time you are able to pick somebody up when they fall and not be judgmental or critical or hurtful or hateful, 
You are putting into practice Philippians 2, 3 that says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Listen, that's an awesome thing to do, to contribute in the building of the kingdom of God. And I believe that most of you, if not all of you here, want to see that happen. Let's pray. Father, as we look at these passages from Ephesians, there's, there's a lot of different ways that we can put this together. There's a lot of different messages in those few verses. But Father, we pray that you would continue working in our lives to make us the Christians you want us to be. Continue drawing us closer to you so that we would have the insight and the heavenly wisdom to know what to say and how to say it to others to draw them closer to you. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you would soften their heart, that you would draw them to you in this very moment, that you would give them the courage and the strength to step out and just come tell us that. They would like to make that decision. Maybe they need more information. If they would fill out one of those registration cards on the back of the seat in front of them and let us know that, we'll, we'll, we'll make the time, energy, and effort to talk to them and show them and share with them really what it means to be a Christian. Father, if they're ready to make that decision today, we pray that they would just come right straight forward and tell us that. And Father, if there's those here that have made that decision, but they've never been baptized, like you were baptized through complete immersion, and they'd like to be baptized, you've worked in their life enough that they realize you were real and, and you want them to follow through in your footsteps. Father, we offer that opportunity for them too. And Lord, if anyone is here and they've been coming for a while and maybe they've decided this is where they need to be a part of this church family. Maybe they just like to join this body of believers. We welcome them to do that this morning. Father, there's so many things going on in this world around us. And we need that security. We need those relationships. We need that stability to weather the storm that's going on all around us. Father, we as a body of believers would like to welcome those who would like to be a part of that from inside this body of believers to strengthen them and encourage them and, and just love them and have them love us. And Father, we commit all these things to you. And we simply ask all these things in your son Jesus' most precious name. Amen. If you can and would, stand please. All to Jesus I surrender All to him I
to Jesus, I surrender humbly at His feet. I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me. Um, we need to pray for two or three people real quick. Um, Bill Gates, Bill and Anna were here, but Bill, Bill and, uh, 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 was just taken to the hospital by Anna. His heart's in AFib again, and uh, it's, it's really acting up. So pray for Bill and Anna as they head to the hospital right now. And uh, Mary Catherine just shared with me, Lisa and Ted Bradley, many of you know them or knew them before they moved. Um, Ted is in the hospital, and it looks like he may not come out. Uh, so pray for Lisa and pray for Ted. Uh, they're back east, and uh, just pray that he would give both of them comfort as he prepares to go home. Oh, they're here in Tucson? Over by, okay, they're, they're here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting I'm not done yet. Give me a minute. And our Leah Fitch is also in the hospital, and she has sepsis. So be praying for her. Um, this has been going on for a little while, but it's really gotten bad the last few days. So pray for David and Arlea, and uh, pray for David that he'd have the physical strength to continue on in the midst of all this too. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer real quick and pray for those individuals. Um, Father, we have so many individuals in this body of believers that are facing physical ailments and, and health issues and struggles. But we lift these individuals that we just mentioned up to you this morning. And Father, it would be our will, our, our prayer, that you place your healing hand upon them and allow them all to be back and strengthen and come back to us. But Father, if that's not your will, if it's time for them to go home to meet you, we simply want your will to be done. Father, we, we don't want them to suffer or, or, or to be in extreme pain or agony or, or, or anything that's going to hamper their journey to you. Lord, we pray that you would comfort the members of the family that are left behind, that you would just work in their lives to be an encouragement to others and, and have someone come alongside these individuals and encourage them as they go through this. And Father, we just simply lift all these things up to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for coming. By the way, did I mention there's a new sign out there? You know, uh, before we sing today, let's remember that uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what gives us our joy is our faith in our almighty God who knows best, who can answer our prayers and meet our needs, that we can trust in all of our circumstances. So let's sing, Mighty is our God.
you have a great week remember to pray for these folks Oh